1: Welcome to another live edition of What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He is a traditional Catholic priest. He's a member of the Society of St. Pius V, and he's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you tonight?
0: Very fine, Tom. Thank you. Yourself? Doing well, Father. Good. Good to see you there.
1: You too. I know that you wanted to ask for some prayers before we begin tonight. Right.
0: Well, I, I do ask our viewers to pray for Mrs. Yvonne Kramer. Yvonne passed away uh, after a long illness, of course. And uh, also Therese, uh, Therese Condit passed away. God rest her soul. Therese was about half the age of Mrs. Kramer. Uh, and uh, she died, sadly, of a brain tumor, which uh, not long after getting the... Uh, the uh well stuck with the uh with the magic potion and uh so we, we grieve both of them but uh both were able to receive the uh, sacraments of the church uh very devoutly and so we uh entrust them to god's loving care with uh, a lot of confidence their mm-hmm. salvation That's i do ask you to please pray for them and also to pray for a couple of little children uh, i've asked to pray already for Uh, Jane Elise, who's a little girl born with some serious health problems, and so she's going to have to undergo a number of operations to uh, save her life. Uh, So far, so good, though. The doctors have uh, brought her along, and uh, we hope that they can continue uh, to do her good. Uh, Also, uh, a little child named Daxton, uh, D-A-X-T-O-N, was brought to my attention today. And uh, a general call has been sent out for prayers for him. Uh, he's got uh, blastoma, a kind of uh, brain tumor, and um, undergoing chemotherapy already at that tender age. It's uh, really ravaging his system, so please pray for him and his family too. Yes. Yes. And there are many other souls, uh, too many to mention even in one program, but uh, uh, God knows who they are. If you please pray for those intentions, I would appreciate it. I know God would bless you for your charity.
1: So. Yes.
0: Pray for the people in Afghanistan. I know we're very upset about what we're hearing from Afghanistan, and rightly so, because we, as Americans, uh, feel a certain responsibility uh, for what is happening there. Um, But the evils that are being perpetrated there, uh, notably by Islamists, um, have been perpetrated steadily for all these years. Um, practically since the, uh, you know, the the middle 600s, these evils have been going on of enslavement and uh, just butchery and so on. Uh, You know, the Christians in the Sudan and the Christians in uh, Nigeria and around the world, these things have been going on steadily, you know. They're not always reported in the press. The press doesn't consider it to be uh, really newsworthy, evidently. Uh, In this this case of Afghanistan, though, it's something that they can't hide. It's something so tragic, the entire world is engulfed in it. And uh, there's a lot of controversy as to whether or not it's uh, happening by accident, due to incompetence, or whether it's all planned by the deep state. And, uh, you know, when you you address those questions, uh, we're always taught, ask cui bono. For who's good? To who's good? Who's benefiting from this? And you kind of look for them as they, they have a motive behind this. And the answer is undoubtedly uh, benefiting from this is the Red Dragon. I won't use the name of the country because, of course, there are censors out there who won't let anything uh derogatory be said about the Red Dragon. <laughs> but nonetheless, I think everybody knows what I'm talking about. And this seems to be the um the entity that is really benefiting from all this. They were courting The Afghan, uh, well, the Taliban, they were courting the Taliban for a long time before this happened in preparation for this event, that it would fall like a ripe fruit into their hands. And uh, so the ones who are really benefiting from this were actually being now praised as their great friends and benefactors, the partisans of the Red Dragon. So if um, we believe that the uh, the Red Dragon does have its minions and its operatives within the United States government, as they have boasted openly, they do, then it's not impossible to uh, to see that those minions in the United States government uh, are pulling the strings in this to not only embarrass the United States, but also to bring the Afghanistan within the orbit of uh, the Red Dragon. And uh, its designs on uh, basically having dominant power in Asia. So in any case, uh, pray for all the victims of militant Islam, pray for them, Uh, notably in Afghanistan right now. Mm -hmm. Not only our own American people who have been uh, stranded there and somewhat abandoned there by their own government, but also those who have worked with us over the years, trusting us, the missionaries over there who are working with the people who are very targeted by the Taliban and their wrath against our Lord Jesus Christ <clears throat> but for all the Afghan people um, who basically have been well I think I think betrayed truly so pray for them anyway to, uh yeah. I know you have many other things to talk about now but <clears throat> our first duty is to pray so yeah, let's probably. do that yeah. Uh,
1: well, Father, we did have a question come in concerning uh, St. Paul's epistle to the Romans, um, mm-hmm. particularly chapter 13, because in that uh, chapter, St. Paul talks about the uh, necessity of obedience to superiors, and uh, one of our, our viewers was wondering how uh, how that applies to us today with uh, the current situation we see today and some of the, uh, the uh, leaders or superiors that we have over us today. Um, so if I could just read a few verses of this, Father, and... Um, Uh, He says, uh, again, this is chapter 13 of St. Paul's Epistle to the Romans. He writes, Let every soul be subject to higher powers, for there is no power but from God, and those that are or ordained of God. Therefore, he that resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist purchase to themselves damnation. For princes are not a terror to the good work, but to the evil. Wilt thou then be afraid of the power, do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, fear. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath upon him that doth evil. Wherefore, be subject of necessity, not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake, and therefore also you pay tribute for they are the ministers of God serving unto this purpose render therefore to all men their due their dues tribute to whom tribute is due custom to whom custom fear to whom fear honor to whom honor so father those are the uh, first seven verses of st paul's uh, epistle to the romans how how does that apply to us today
0: well uh, as a Understand the question that came in uh, tries to reconcile how we're supposed to be obedient to authority, including civil authority, because he mentions princes and so mm. on, and yet t- take a stand in opposition to it. How can we, in good conscience, do that? And uh, it's a good question, obviously. I mean, people can point to the sacred scripture and interpret it in so many different ways. Yeah, St. Peter even makes that point. The devil himself can interpret scripture to his advantage, right? In his own way, to his benefit. So you have to be careful. That's why God had to establish on earth an authority to tell us how the Scriptures are to be understood. And that is the teaching authority of the Catholic Church throughout the ages right. that can tell us exactly the true meaning of sacred Scripture. Now, a part of the problem is translation. You know, you, you just read in English uh, a section of the Epistle of St. Paul to the Romans. It was not originally written in English, obviously. The English language didn't even exist. when St. Paul addressed the Romans with the with the message of this epistle. uh, St. Paul's epistle was originally written in Greek and it was written in what we know as Koine Greek, that was the common Greek of the people. It was uh, actually Greek was the common language of the the people throughout that part of the world uh, at the time of St. Paul. And um, Latin also was very common, obviously, especially among the, the working people and so on. But once Rome had conquered Greece, and the uh, the wealthy of the Roman Empire had brought Greek scholars back to, even to Rome itself, to educate their children, and their children learned Greek. It was considered to be a language, the, the, the language of state, in a sense, you know. And... Um, you notice, even St. Saint, Saint Peter, after our Lord's Resurrection, um, before he went to Rome, he spent seven years in Antioch, to the north. And during those seven years in Antioch, which was, uh, Antioch was a very turbulent city, but also a very cultural city, kind of the crossroads of the Empire, in a sense. At the time, uh, St. Peter would have perfected his Greek. And uh, actually, it would have been seven years of real education for Peter, so that it, when he was called to Rome, uh, to deal with a heretic, Simon Magnus, Simon Magus, the magician. When, by the time Peter was called to Rome after seven years in Antioch, he really was well-schooled in what he needed to know in order to uh, represent our Lord uh, on earth and to represent the faith, represent the church perfectly as the true vicar of Christ on earth. And so, uh, it, it might be said that it was uh, kind of uh, a preparation, years of preparation in Antioch. Providential so, providentially so. But Greek is one of the things that uh, St. Peter would have, would have learned very fluently. So when he arrived in Rome, he was able to communicate in Greek and actually, when he preached at the home of the Senator Pudens in Rome, he was preaching in Greek and the young scribe uh, John Mark who was accompanying Peter actually was recording Peter's words and that's what we know as the gospel according to St Mark right now again all in greek so the reason I'm pointing this out is because we have to realize first of all that when we read the scriptures uh we're reading translations and translations always limp they always have uh, limitations you know and you know very well, you look up the de- definition of a, uh, of a word in any dictionary. It gives you a first definition, a second definition, a third definition. You kind of have to pick the right word. And sometimes there is no exactly right word uh, that corresponds quite to what you mean. The same with a, a thesaurus. You know, you're know, you looking for something less like a quasi-equivalent, but with a nuance that maybe this word doesn't have. But you look down the list of other words and say, so you can pick out the right word, assuming there is one. You go from one language to another; it becomes even more difficult to find an exact equivalent because the words all have nuances and implications, and so on. And so it is with English. We take for the word "power" here, right? Key to this English expression: "Let every man, let every be soul, every soul be subject to higher powers, for there is no power but from God." Well, I mean, you know, power can mean so much in the English language. Now, you might think, if you went to the Greek, the original, you know, that you find in all the manuscripts and codicils and all of the fragments of St. Paul's epistle to the Romans that exist, you might expect to find the Greek word dunamis, but you don't. You find the word exousia. And hey, exousia does not just mean power, it means more than that. It means like a moral power, which is an authority, the word authority. And so, you know, the sense of what St. Paul is actually saying here is let every soul be subject to higher authority, for there is no authority but from God. Because that exorcia means more than just having the physical power, the might to do something. It implies also having the right to do something, the right of governance, right? And so what St. Paul is actually saying is you have to be subject to authority, and he goes on to say that there is no authority but that ordained by God, because all authority must come from God, a moral authority having to do with right and wrong. And St. Paul goes on to talk about that. He says the authority that exists, that is ordained by God, rewards what is good and punishes what is evil, right? Uh, encourages what is good and tries to pre- prevent what is evil, right? That's the role of true authority. <laughs> Uh, the implication is very clear that any authority that would promote what is evil and punish what is good cannot be legitimate authority, cannot really be exercising authority in the name of God, right? Unfortunately, this is the situation we have here. When we have a question, we even have the question of whether we're dealing with genuine authority or not, you know, even by the standards of our own laws, you know, Uh, are those in power actually those who have the authority to be in power? That's a question, very serious question about them. But even beyond that, I mean, even one who, let's say, <clears throat> doesn't want to get into that question, for although it's a very serious question, obviously, <clears throat> the next question would be, well, assuming that they, they are legitimately in, in power, in the sense that they have authority <clears throat> given to them by the American people, uh, can they use that authority legitimately to do what they're doing? uh could they use the authority to murder and cheat and steal and corrupt and betray and all the rest you know the answer is no they couldn't they couldn't legitimately use the authority for that and so rather than it being a sin or wrong for people to resist that it would be an obligation and the obligation to resist that would come from their respect for true authority not because they have no respect for true authority. It's because they have respect for true authority and they love true authority because they realize it is from God. And that's ex- exactly the point that makes them oppose false and illegitimate illegitimate power. Power illegitimately gained and power illegitimately held and power illegitimately exercised. Right? It is incumbent upon anybody who recognizes that all true authority comes from God to resist authority that does not come from God or actually is opposed to God, like the Antichrist himself. <clears throat> the whole world may bow down before him and acclaim him their Lord, <clears throat> but true Catholics will never recognize him. They will know that he is not exercising the authority of God but only the pretense of its authority from hell. And so, I mean, obviously St. Paul would not say, well, you know, the, when the Antichrist comes, and the whole world accepts him, you know, you got to obey him because, you know, he's the prince of this world after all, right? Our Lord refers to the devil as the prince of this world. Is he referring to the prince of this world that we should all obey and hearken to and uh, carry out his orders? Clearly not. Clearly not. So, um, here's what St. Paul says, For he is God's minister to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, then fear. Okay, But one might say to those who claim authority, that if they do what is evil, they should fear even more so, right? And um, for he beareth not the sword in vain, okay, but he's talking about a true prince who has true authority and who actually exercises that authority in the service of God and not as the enemy of God. He says he is God's minister. So what is he doing? He's an avenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. You see, so this is the key point. <laughs> he is the opponent of evil, and he executes justice on earth to punish the evil and to prevent the evil from succeeding. And um, so that's why he even, he even mentions for the sake of our consciences. Point being, we have to um, support what is legitimate, in the eyes of God, right? Legitimate authority. Not even what not even what is legitimate in the eyes of men is necessarily legitimate in the eyes of God. We see that with abortion in our own country, right? And so many other things. So here again, you know, St. Paul is, it would never say support what is legitimate in the eyes of men rather than what is legitimate in the eyes of God. That's the exact opposite of what he's saying here because all authority must come from God and must serve him and must be subject to him. So uh, when he says, pay tribute, well, that's taxes, right? For they are ministers of God, serving unto this purpose. Render therefore to all men their due. Well, that's justice. So if we're going to render to the men what is due to them in justice, clearly, again, that's not obedience to illegitimate authority. It's not due to them. Everything he says here, you know, has to be interpreted in in the sense of the entire sacred scriptures. You know, all that St. Paul wrote, all that our Lord taught in the Gospels. And if you detach it from that and just take it apart as a separate paragraph or read it, you can misinterpret it. Unfortunately, that's what heretics do, right? Um, so anyway, render fear to those who deserve to be feared, not Is a servile fear, which is the fear of a slave, but an honorific fear as, let's say, a child recognizes a father's authority, right? What they call a filial fear because of authority, the authority of God. Then he ends this passage that you read by saying, render honor to those to whom honor is due, right? Well, obviously, those who attempt to wield an illegitimately gotten authority in an illegitimate way, illegitimate way to serve illegitimate and evil purposes, they do not deserve honor. Quite the contrary. Um, they are the ones who actually deserve wrath, the wrath of God. And time and time and time again, seen, we find that in the Old Testament, God talks about the prophets who are serving themselves, the priests, the judges of Israel who are serving themselves, and uh, and uh, oppressing the people and the wrath that God is uh, that is building up against them uh, for what they are doing. Um, our Lord talks about <coughs> the uh, the mercenaries and the wolves, right, ravaging the sheep, and um, how you know they are not to be they they're not to be uh, honored certainly. Uh, the sheep don't go and say to the wolves, "Eat me," or to the mercenaries, "You know, abandon me." Quite the contrary. This is not, this is not the work of God done by such people.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We have wolves. We have mercenaries right now in high places, right in our country and throughout the world, commanding things that are not of God, and it is incumbent upon us who honor the authority of God to resist them. Um, <clears throat> hey. Another example, there was no doubt that that Peter was the vicar of Christ on earth when St. Paul stood up in the assembly and opposed him to his face. Remember that? There was no doubt about that. And there was definitely legitimate authority, but not to do what Peter was doing, and that was give a a scandal. And so St. Paul made an example out of him in front of everybody for what he was doing. So if you want to understand what St. Paul is saying, Go to the Acts of the Apostles, and relive that moment when St. Paul stood up in the assembly and accused St. Peter of giving terrible scandal. Um, if I may, if I may, um, expatiate a little bit—not that I really like to do so, as you know—but you know when I when I read that and I heard what you were reading there, what comes to mind is Saint, is, is Francis with the Imam saying that God wills a multiplicity of religions. God wills multiple religions all different religions right uh the ones that are christian the ones that are not christian god wills this, right and this is a confounding of the fact that it's true there can be no power on earth that is exercised without god allowing it to happen right <clears throat> but it's a very different matter to say that god tolerates evil and even by the power of his will, sustains it in the sense that he gives us the power to make those evil those choices and to carry them out. But to say that God wills the evil is wrong. God does not positively will the evil. He tolerates it, okay, for the sake of a greater good. But all that God wills, he wills under the aspect of what good, the good that ultimately will be achieved by it. That's the same with us, too, by the way. The human will also, patterned after God's own will, is made that very way. We always have to will something under the guise of good. We always have to convince ourselves there is some good reason, good to it in order to will it. Even sin, we have to kind of talk ourselves into it. So. Um, so, so Francis is here basically uh, in this message with the imam saying that even Islam, God wills Islam, God wills this, God wills that, so many other things. <clears throat> but you, you ask yourself, well, how could Almighty God, if we're talking about the same God that Francis is talking about, <clears throat> how could Almighty God, our Lord Jesus Christ, <laughs> tell the Apostles, going therefore, preach the gospel to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost and teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And then say that he who is, believes and is baptized shall be saved, and he who does not believe will be condemned. And now there's, there's the word of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go, therefore, preach the gospel to all nations. Well, what is the gospel? The gospel is the fact that the Son of God became man and died on the cross for us and established his church, gave us the true faith. That's the gospel. This is what our lord told the apostles to go and we're here at the, one of the feast of one of the apostles right now who did exactly that saint bartholomew it's his feast day today that's exactly what he did it's exactly what god commanded him to do now how on earth could this god <coughs> whose divine son sent the apostles into the world to to preach this the son of god became man died on the cross for our sins, established the church, taught us the true, true faith, and then said, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved, and he who is not believed shall be condemned. How could, he, how could the same God will other, others to go forth, not his apostles, and approve of them, actually will them to go forth and contradict what his apostles were teaching, and deny that this is the Son of God, Deny that he died on the cross to redeem us. Deny that he established his one true church. And God says, I want, you to, I want you to do that too. At the same time. What does that say about Francis's concept of God? It's blasphemous. It's not the Catholic concept of God. It doesn't admit it that. The, the God who is uh, God of truth, right? Who can neither deceive nor be deceived. I mean, he would be like the ultimate deceiver if he would say the apostles, go forth and preach the gospel, but I'm going to will all these other religions to come up and deny everything you say and to mislead mankind. What's the conclusion? You know That God is actually actively out to condemn souls to hell because spreading false doctrine, if it's true that he who does not believe will be condemned, or is God actually lying when he says to the apostles, he who does not believe will be condemned, and that's not so because my father is sending out other people over the centuries, to preach other uh, doctrines that are totally contrary and contradictory to what I'm sending you out to preach. It, it, it is blasphemous to suggest this. Francis didn't really suggest it. He came out and just said it. And he continues to say it. Um, so, if one if one reads this passage of Romans chapter 13 and just says, well, whatever powers there are, they're from God. Well, if you understand that in the Francis sense, yeah, if they have power, you've got to obey it. As so though might makes right, right? In that sense, if you just take it as raw power, if that's the way it's translated, and that's the way you understand it, you can say, okay, God ordains all these terrible things, right? And God, therefore, is responsible for all the murders and himself, all the evil that is done, God actually positively wills it. Then God is a murderer, is, is the, the ultimate Uh, result of taking this passage and mistranslating it in the Francis sense, right? Um, As though, well, they have all those religions, so God must be good with it. God must want them, right? Because they couldn't happen unless he let it happen, so he must be all in favor of it. That's Francis' interpretation. That would be the interpretation of this passage, if that was what it really said, but it doesn't say that, really. Mm -hmm. Father, I think it might be helpful, too, if if one were read
1: what came next in that same chapter where saint paul talks about charity and how he he even repeats the phrase multiple times that that charity and love that is the um the the epitome that's the the fulfillment of the law so if you're not Mm -hmm. practicing why don't you go ahead and read sure yeah yeah um he says here um for uh chapter or rather verse eight um he says oh no man anything but to love one another for he that loveth his neighbor hath fulfilled the law he says, for thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou, sh- or thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is comprised in this word, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The love of our neighbor worketh no evil, love therefore is the fulfilling of the law. So if we're not practicing charity, um, you know, charity towards our neighbor, but even charity <laughs> towards God, of course, too, mm-hmm. Uh, which is greater than that, then we're sure. not fulfilling the law. So someone who would command us to do something contrary to charity, uh, whether it be mm. love of the neighbor or, or love of mm. God, that would obviously be against mm. the law, as St. Paul
0: says. Well, this is a very good example, Tom, too, of another word that is very much misused in translation, the word love, right? Yeah. So it's not just power as it evolved, and it's not just love in the English sense, which can mean virtually anything, <laughs> even sinful things, right? Uh, as as Francis interprets it in Amore Letitia right? Uh, the joy of love, in which he tries to exonerate open adultery. Um, again, another pretty good example of that. Trans- not a mistranslation, but a misunderstanding. Uh, a failure to really understand. Um, but you're right, I mean, what's, what St. Paul actually says here, what he actually means here, is very clear. That... Um, everything must be motivated by a love, and ultimately, uh, you know, a love for a neighbor, but a love for God, too. And uh, that very love for God and love for a neighbor would mean that we may, and often do, have to oppose injustice. And Those who are most capable of imposing injustice are the ones with the power to do so, okay? Um, I I was, uh, somebody sent me a, Again, by way of illustration there, somebody sent me a video of uh, what's going on in Australia right now, with the oppression going on right now in the name of the, the magic germ. Um, and um, it's just horrific. But not long ago, I guess within the last week or so, there was just a spontaneous gathering of people, tens of thousands of Australians gathered Um, Maybe in Sydney, for all I know. And uh, they, just by word of mouth, because they're being monitored with everything they say in social media, you know. And you're arrested, if you say anything on social media, to suggest resignously, just by word of mouth, word get out. There were actually thousands and thousands of people out on the sand, you know, protesting the the lockdowns and all the rest. And uh, they're particularly draconian down there. It's incredible just how savage it's become. And these people were very, very composed, very intelligent, I thought. Very measured in what they had to say. You know, they were uh, non-threatening. But in the background, you could see the police arresting people. And uh, bending them over, right, or tackling them, or, you know, surrounding them, uh, pinning their arms behind their backs, putting them in cuffs, marching them off, Uh, marching them off, uh, in in, in like three or four police grabbing them and marching them off to the vans to be taken who knows where. Nobody stepped in to stop the police from doing that, which surprised me. Because, you know, there comes a time when we, who love the police, we we consider them our our friends, Uh, they are exactly what we would hope for in this Romans chapter 13, exactly that, right? to enforce what is good and to punish what is evil, to promote what is good and to to prevent what is evil. And here they are just uh, savagely attacking their own people. I mean, these are their brothers and their sisters and their parents and their and their children who are doing this to their own people, you know. Uh, and, and all they are is basically, uh, I, I hate to use the word stooges, but they're being used as stooges for politicians. Politicians are actually just using them as the um, the heavies, uh, the enforcers of their policies. And you would hope that any uh, police officer who had any sense of his duty to God or to country or to his people would wake up and say, wait a minute, they're just using me. They're using me to enforce tyranny here. I can't do that. That's not right. But none of those in the video showed any compunction whatsoever about of chopping or tripping or tackling or 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 handcuffing anybody there it was what were they doing they were just protesting that's all talking about peaceful protests they weren't setting fire to anything right now they've had BLM riots down there, they've had uh, interventions down there nobody does a thing but they turn out to uh, protest uh, the government's overreach you know and uh, and they're the enemy this I would I would hope that any the police, I would hope, who have been made the bad guys in the eyes of, well, basically bad people, right? But realize who their friends are and not let the politicians make them so odious to those who are good that the good people look upon the police as their enemy now. But that's that's exactly what the, uh, <clears throat> the tyrants want to do. They want to use the police and they, they want to so use the police that the good people see the police as their enemy, and the and the police see those the good people as their enemy too. That's what they want to do ultimately. Turn the the citizenry against the police, the ones who are being good citizens, and the police against the good citizens who are just trying to basically live the moral law of God. <clears throat> so this is one thing that concerns me because the. The, uh, the 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 would be tyrants would be powerless, but for the if they couldn't find people who would go and um, uh, you know what should I say be be their uh, enforcers. <laughs> um, and I you know we have to pray for the police that they don't allow themselves to be um, well to be I, I, I want to use a word but it's not a nice word but <laughs> deceived or misled into this, or, you know, somehow beguiled into the being, essentially mob enforcers of an illegitimate power. Mm-hmm. So, again, you know, this Romans chapter 13 here is very important. Because the correct understanding of it is really at the root of what's happening today. And what we, uh, So those who bring that up and say, how does this apply today? Are asking a very good question they deserve a very good answer. I'm not saying I have the best answer, but I have, well, I think I have part of an answer. (laughs) Anyway. But anyway, uh, so there's a lot to this, a lot more than might meet the eye at first. But uh, I'm glad, I'm glad our, I'm glad our contact brought this up.
1: Okay. Okay, well, um, Father, uh, I think we have time for a couple emails um, Mm. that I I wanted to, uh, to read to you on air and get your response to. Um, first one viewer writes in and says, Reverend father, you have said concerning the Nova sort of that it is doubtfully valid. And if it is the amount of sacrilege and dishonor to our Lord would be immense. This is true. However, our Lord willingly accepted the cross to bring us his grace through his suffering. Would he not willingly endure such dishonor, such offense to, uh, to bring those duped by the conciliar church, the grace they need to persevere. Uh, they say, I find it hard to believe that our Lord would allow the innocent who suffer under the hirelings who claim Episcopal authority without some graces. I say this as a recovering conciliar Catholic who has accepted all the canons and anathemas of Vatican II and rejected nearly everything else. Uh, so what do you think about that, Father?
0: Well, to our recovering <laughs> Novus Erdo Catholic, uh, it's an interesting uh, yeah. way to put it, I think. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I would say, look, um, with regard to our Lord willingly accepting all of that, again, it gets down to what our Lord is willing to tolerate, right? Because it sounds like our recovering uh, Novus Catholic is admitting this is an evil. So the question is, would our Lord willingly accept this and provide graces for people? Well, obviously he's providing graces for Novus Catholics in the sense that <clears throat> there are people who are going to the Novus they've been raised in the Novus that's all they've ever known, Right. But they're finding their way back. They're finding their way to the traditional faith. Some older ones who knew the traditional Catholic faith before the uh, revolution of Vatican II, they're finding their way back. But those who have been raised in the Nova Sordo, and that's all they ever knew, they can't find their way back. They have to find their way there in the first place. <clears throat> and that's a, a miracle of grace. There's, there are obviously graces given. I mean, I consider our recovering Nova Soto Catholic to be an example of someone who's receiving graces. <clears throat> Why? Well, obviously because he has a certain love for the truth, right? I mean, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, St. Paul says that that love for the truth is the key to even finding your way through the, 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 the times of the Antichrist and being safe and not being deceived by him. That being the case, uh, we can say that God is definitely giving grace to those raised in the Novus Ordo to find their way to the traditional faith. There's no doubt about it. So, no one, no one could argue that God does not give graces to those who go to the Novus Ordo in, in good faith. <clears throat> now, there's who, those who go there because it's easier, because they can use artificial birth control, because they can get away with living with their girlfriends or boyfriends, because essentially anything goes, that's something else again. But here you have a case of somebody who obviously cares about the truth, and so God has actually rewarded that. God has been giving him the grace all this time and led him on, and he's cooperated with the graces, and here he is, finding his way to the traditional Catholic faith and practicing the traditional Catholic religion. The fact is, those who go to the Novus Ordo and worship there are not practicing the traditional Catholic faith, but many of them still ha- actually have the traditional Catholic faith. They're not practicing the traditional Catholic religion in the Novus Ordo. And there's a difference. <clears throat> if you were to ask this person, I don't know if it's a man or a woman, I, I, mad, I imagine a gentleman. You. Um, if you were to ask him, well, have you changed your faith in all this time? He would probably say, no, I, I, it's the same faith I always had. I just found that the traditional Catholic religion is actually the religion that corresponds to my faith. Not the Nova Ordo, and so there are a lot of people. I believe uh, some people, my own dear, near and dear relatives, you know, who had the faith, have the faith, but they they're practicing the Novus Ordo because they they do not recognize the contradiction yet, or if they do, they don't know what to do about it. And I trust they have a love for the truth and a love for our Lord. He will lead them to the practice the true religion, the Catholic religion that corresponds to their true Catholic faith but if you want to ask the question does our Lord willingly do that does he willingly go through the throes of the Novus Ordo? I would say well absolutely not in the sense that uh, willingly that he approves of it um, our Lord did willingly go to the cross it's no no doubt about that he made it very clear that it was his will and even in, in Calvary Uh, Or even in Gethsemane, when our Lord said, Father, not my will, but thy will be done, he was uniting his will to that of the Father, not only as God, Son of God, but as man, he was uniting his human will to that of the Father as well, in willing his own crucifixion. He did that, no doubt about it. But he accepted it as an evil, Uh, to overcome a greater evil, and that was our damnation. But... uh, you know, perhaps perhaps I can explain it best by an example I was I was asked once to talk to the, the Newman Club at um, Regent University okay law school uh, they were approaching graduation turns out that year that the valedictorian uh, was actually a Catholic in in this ocean of evangelical Protestantism right and so uh, there were this is the Newman Club there so there were probably about 20 25 students there. And uh, I I brought up the question of uh, the conversion of one of our men years ago, who at one time worked for the Defense Department. He was a very serious individual, and um, this man had actually tried to go along with the Novus Ordo because he thought that it's what the Church wanted of him at that time. He became a Eucharistic minister. And he would take his place there and be handing out you know, wafers and giving cups and all the rest. And what bothered him was that he saw that as they brought back the cups, they would just... I told this before, once you're familiar with it. They would set their cups more or less empty, more or less full, on the side on a table, and they would just ignore them. And he really believed that it's the blood of Christ. Uh, No doubt in in his mind, uh, no wavering in his faith, that is the blood of Jesus Christ there. And it's in those cups and they're sitting over there, totally ignored at the end of the ceremony. And, um, uh, you know, they take all the wafers and they dump them in the big dish and they carry them off and put them off in the side where they have some kind of Eucharistic room, not a tabernacle on the table or anything like that. (laughs) So he said those were provided for. But the cups of the precious blood? That's so. <clears throat> so uh, he said the only thing that would happen was, at the end of the ceremony, after everybody was leaving, uh, some altar girls would come out, gather up these cups and carry them into the sacristy, and that was it. So he'd come back from the administering of this, uh, that a sort of, uh, you know, uh, hosts and, uh, well, they call it, they call it sometimes the blessed wine now. Even. Um, And uh, he would actually stay by the table and wait till all the cups came back and he would personally drink them all. He thought it was his way of showing a real respect and reverence for the precious God of our Lord. Well, the woman who was in charge of the liturgy planning committee, because you have to have something new and different every week, you know, to keep people's interest. uh, They didn't do that very well. Uh, She complained to the pastor that uh, this man was being a, a, a nuisance and a distraction. And the pastor called him in and said, you can't do that anymore. So, our man dutifully, I mean, worked for the Defense Department, he knew how to, you know, uh, obey orders. (laughs) Uh, He stopped doing that, but it still bothered him. And one Sunday he saw the altar girls uh, grabbing these cups and carrying them back into the sacristy. And he followed them in. And by the time he walked through the door, he he found the the, uh, minister, uh, who had just said the Nova Sura liturgy, the one who was, you know, responsible for this, he was dumping them all down the drain at the sink. And he later said that that opened his eyes. Immediately that answered all his questions, he knew this was wrong. <clears throat> he saw them just one by one, just dumping them all down the sink, all down the drain. And uh, I mentioned this because I wanted the young people who were present there at the law school to realize... That this is this is very this is not unusual, but actually, they can expect that this is the same thing going on in many many of these Nova Soro parishes. You know, uh, just the contempt for anything sacred. You know, especially what should be the most sacred. Well, one young lady who happened to be sitting at my right was very thoughtful about it. It was clear that she was thinking about this very seriously. She taught catechism to uh, during the weekends, and she was very actively involved in her church. And she raised the objection. She said, but, Father, she said, on Calvary, our Lord's blood did run down the cross and run down onto the ground, didn't it? So, I mean, really, what's the difference? She said, besides that, I know, and she's probably one of the few who did know that, she said that in the sacristy, they have a sink that doesn't go into the sewer, but it goes right into the ground. The sacrarium sink, where you put sacred things, goes into the ground. (laughs) <laughs> Since our Lord's blood floated onto the ground in Calvary, well, I mean, why would that necessarily be wrong? Now you see what she's thinking here, Tom. You can see where she, where where she's coming from on that, right? And so um they said, Well, that's a good question, but I, I think there's a good answer to that. they said, Look, if if the you went to your your parish there and the <coughs> the priest one Sunday said, Look, we, we have all these cups here and we have all this uh, the precious blood of Christ here, and it's just too much, you know. We've given everybody a taste of it, and the priest is drunk of it. and So, I'm going to take the rest and I'm going to pour it into this potted plant in the sanctuary. I asked her, well, would this be okay? She said, well, no, 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 that wouldn't be right. I said, well, okay. Let's say he goes out <clears throat> onto the front lawn, the church, he says, look, you know, we have all these cups, and our Lord's blood flowed onto the onto the ground on Calvary. So there's nothing wrong with this. I'm going to dump these chalices here, well, cups they call them now, onto the um, <clears throat> like the shrubbery in the front, you know. I, and I asked her, would that be okay with you? Would you think that was fine? She said, no, no, that would be wrong to do that. I said, well, that's true, but why why would it be wrong to do that? And um, she she really couldn't answer the question. Why our blood, Lord's blood flowed onto the ground in Calvary. The priest is pouring the precious blood, as far as she's concerned, into the sink, which she assumes is the sacrarium sink going to the ground. Why, why would it be wrong to pour it into a potted plant or out on the, outside in the shrubbery? And you know, I just said to her, well, look, you have to remember now, when our Lord's blood flowed onto the ground in Calvary, this was being done to him by his enemies who hated him. They were doing this to him. This was not being done by those who loved him. They would have prevented that any way they could. But his enemies did this to him. This is what our Lord's enemies do to him, not those who love him. And it's as though immediately she saw that, you know. And I think everybody did, and because nobody came back. Nobody objected. And uh, so you know when our writer here uh, says, "Well, wouldn't our Lord willingly put up with that?" I would say, "This is what our Lord's enemies have done to him." You know, and um, we cannot accept that. Those who love Him cannot cannot accept that. Uh, we cannot just say, "Well, our Lord was willing to uh, to." Um, Uh, suffer this on Calvary, so we shouldn't really object to black masses or sacrileges or blasphemies, because our Lord's willing to do that, so we just have to let it go, right? No, the answer is absolutely not. That's not what those who love him do. Uh, And so it is with the Novus Ordo. Those who love our Lord don't do those things. They're offended by these things, and by the grace of God, they finally wind up back in the traditional traditional faith again, practicing the traditional Catholic religion. Because they reject blasphemy and sacrilege. Mm -hmm.
1: That's great, Father. Um, Well, perhaps we can answer this last email then. Um, We had a a viewer who is uh, new to the Society of St. Pius V, and uh, he asked, how does one convince uh, or invite others to even consider to be a faithful member of the Society of St. Pius V. He says that uh, he finds it a stumbling block for friends to even consider a possibility. So how can he go about
0: Well, I, I guess, how can he go about doing it? Or convince his friends to do it?
1: He convinces his friends. How can he go about convincing his friends?
0: Well, I guess the question is why they can't even consider it, why they mm-hmm. find it to be out of the question. I guess the question is why they can consider it out of the question. Do they know? Do they know what the Society of Saint Pius V stands for? Is he talking about traditional Catholic friends? He
1: uh, he says that uh, actually he has a lot of friends who are SSPX attendees.
0: So oh, I so they could not be, conceive be, of. Be, yeah. uh, well, it's because of propaganda. If they're if they're attending the SSPX, it's because they're getting a lot of propaganda against the the Society of Saint Pius V. And I, I know for a fact that there are many things said about the Society of Saint Pius V by members of the Society of St. Pius X that are simply not true. But um, those who believe them would think, well, we could never, ever, you know, uh, follow the Society of St. Pius V or adhere to it or, you know, partake of it, whatever, um, if what we're being told is true. And it never occurs to them that what they're being told is not true. So I, I assume that the gentleman in question here, if it is a gentleman, that mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that he realizes that what they're being told is not true, so I guess he just have to try to get across to them that they're being misled.
1: Okay. Are there anything else you'd like to add tonight
0: before we close? Well, you know, much of what we talk about is uh, problematic um, and involves you know, some hard decisions and some sacrifice, but I mean, that's the nature of our Lord. Following our Lord, right? He's, our Lord said that unless you take up your cross, not just from time to time, but daily, he said, and and follow me, you cannot and come after me. You cannot be my disciple. What our Lord's talking about the cross. He's talking about sacrifice. He's talking about self denial. He's talking about patience. And so uh, it's it's just a part and parcel to following our Lord and being faithful to Him. That we, we we realize we have to do more and better and love love him more, and loving him more requires more from us too, that we that we give more, and uh, so these days require that very very much. We uh, we have to overcome our complacency. Love love cannot be complacent. If it's complacency, there's no love there, right? They're antithetical to each other. Complacency and love <clears throat> don't really go together very well. So. Um, we have to overcome our complacency and uh, determine that we're going to be faithful to our Lord, no matter what. This starts by giving up sin. First thing Our Lady asked Fatima, stop sinning, stop offending God. And then Our Lady said, and then go, the next step, make reparation for the sins already committed by us, our own sins, and by the rest of the world. Make reparation to our Lord for the blasphemies and sacrileges that are committed against Him. But Our Lady also said, we have to consecrate ourselves to our Immaculate Heart. We just had the Feast of the Immaculate Heart last Sunday. And um, in fact, I think somebody wrote in recently and said, what are you doing to promote devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary? Well, naming the Church after the Immaculate Conception (laughs) was a good start, right? And then uh, like our entire liturgical life uh, as traditional Catholics, you know, has a very strong component of devotion to Our Lady. There are so many feast days of Our Lady when you add up all the actual major feasts, minor feasts, and Saturdays, I mean, fully about one uh, one-tenth of the entire church year, liturgical year, um, actually emphasizes our Blessed Mother and her love for God and her service of God as His Mother. And... Um, the, she's the greatest work of God's grace and mercy here uh, in, in the history of mankind. Um, <clears throat> so God held her up as an example to us, and, we, and we, we, we hearken to that example, right? We appreciate that, respond to that. So uh, in any case, uh, there's much more that could be said about that. We can bring that question up in the future, too, at another uh, program. But, uh, you know, as far as what we need to do, we need to forge, move ahead on this. Uh, consecrate ourselves to Our Lady's Immaculate Heart, wear her scapular, put her arms around us every day, and um, bring us close to her Immaculate Heart. As we live our daily lives, we need to stop offending God, especially our mortal sin. That should be our top priority, to live in the state of grace and make reparation to our Lord. and to, uh, Our Lady even said, reparation to her Immaculate Heart. Uh, that's the will of God. God wants that. Uh, Our Lord does care that he is offended, but he loves his mother and he doesn't want anybody he loves being offended, especially her, especially her divine motherhood. So in any case, that's really the rule of thumb. There are other things, the five first Saturdays and so many other things that are part and parcel to honoring Our Lady's Immaculate Heart. But these are things we can practically do here and now today, to listen to the voice of heaven. And uh, to begin turning that tide. It's a tide of sin, is what it is, really. And the only way we can turn that tide is to uh, begin to dry that up at its source by not sinning against God and by making reparation against it. That builds that seawall against that. That tsunami of sin. That's what we need to do. Is it possible? Absolutely. by the grace of God, all things are possible. And without it, we can do nothing. So don't try it. <clears throat> don't try to do it without the grace of God. We have to go back and practice our traditional Catholic faith. There is <clears throat> there is really the fountain of God's grace.
1: Amen. Thank you, Father, for being here tonight. Well, you're your welcome, Tim. Thank you. Yep. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe.